Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We love having you here, and it's our mission to bring you all the latest and greatest tips, skills, and know-how to make you the best that you can be. We know that you have it in you, and we're going to show you how. Now, now, let's get started. Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome back to Anti-Bullying 101. These podcasts are designed to create awareness about the bullying epidemic and provide teachers, administrators, parents, and even students information about the dangers of bullying and why we have to take a comprehensive approach when dealing with the problem. My name is Jim Burns. I'm your host. I'm a retired high school administrator with over 40 years of experience in education. Currently, I'm a college instructor and have designed the Bullyproof Classroom, a graduate course that provides my students with permanent help, not temporary relief, as they battle the bullying epidemic. Today, we're going to be talking about seven critical components that every school has to incorporate into their behavior management program. Okay, behavior management. Everybody's got a program. Everybody's got something they use to deal with behaviors that are out of control. You have some policies and procedures in place. You have a disciplinarian. You have different approaches, different uh, ways of holding kids accountable, whether it be through in-school suspension, out-of-school suspension, detention, Saturday detention, whatever it is. And every school has one. At least I think they do. I think there's some schools now that are abandoning the whole thing and they don't have any consequences at all for kids who are involved with misbehavior. And I don't know how they manage to contain the kids because life is based on gain and loss. And if you've been following my podcast, you know that. Every time a kid or an adult or anyone gets ready to do something, their question needs to be, what am I going to gain and what am I going to lose? It's that simple. So the bottom line is you have a behavior management plan in in place whatever it is. This is how we're doing it. It's been approved by the board and we're going to use this to make sure that we put the wood to kids when they start to act up. Well, what are the components of the program? That's the question that I have. What are you really trying to, to do? What are you trying to do? 
If you listen to the previous podcast on discipline, you know that before you discipline kids, you have to have goals and you have to know where you want to go. In other words, what do you want out of the kid? You want homework out of a kid. How are you going to get homework out of a kid? You want the kid to be in his seat. How are you going to get him to be in his seat? You want him to come to school. How are you going to do it? And what's the consequence for not doing those things that you want him or her to do? So you have to have a goal. Now, positive behavior management programs have to promote respect. They have to encourage responsibility. And more recently, I've added, they have to begin to address the mental health issues that we are experiencing right now in school that are associated with addiction and bullying. See, a behavior management program is not just based on kids that are acting up. It has to be also, it also has to include kids that are disaffected. What are you going to do with them? And it needs to be part of your program. So, I'm going to give you seven key pieces that have to be part of any behavior management program. Number one, you have to have a comprehensive program that addresses school climate and promotes the qualities of respect and responsibility. You don't need a character education program if, in fact, You're addressing the climate and you're working on two character qualities, respect and responsibility. That's it. All year long, all day long, those are the two things that you want. Now, you also have to add, and I shared this the other day, compliance. You need kids to listen to you. But that's that was addressed in disciplining children. But any program has to promote the qualities of respect and responsibility. And you may say, you know, when you hear this, duh, but the bottom line is, does your school do it? What do you do when kids act up? What do you do when kids say, no, I won't? What do you do when kids say, you're not my father, you can't tell me what to do? What do you do with all that stuff? And you'll be surprised just how much schools put up with. That's why you have to be firm with these two qualities. The next thing you have to do is you have to deal with the safety of the students. You have to deal with the mental state of all students. Kids may feel unsafe in two ways. One, they may feel unsafe emotionally. Whereas they're afraid that uh, somebody's going to call on them in class. They don't have answers. They're afraid they're going to have a confrontation with someone outside of class. They're afraid they're going to get picked on, berated, harassed, and intimidated. They have to feel safe when they're dealing with that. They have to know that they're not going to be exposed to that and hurt by that. And the other thing we have to do is we have to address the mental state of all students and include a mental health component that addresses and helps reduce anxiety 
that is related to a negative school climate. Don't ask me why kids are getting anxious today. I have my suspicions, and I think it has a lot to do with responsibility, but go listen to the podcast on why kids are so anxious, and you'll hear my thoughts on that. The bottom line is a a school safety team, which many schools are mandated to have, has to figure this out. You have to have a committee and you have to address the problem of the mental state of students and include a mental health component that helps deal with the anxiety, the depression, and the fear of being bullied. That has to be in place. That's number two. Number three, you need support groups that help students and staff Realize the damage that is done through spreading rumors and gossip. I did a whole show on this. You don't know and the kids don't know what happens when rumors and gossip get spread. Clicks get formed even with teachers when they start talking about each other, administration, the board, other students, and parents. When they start spreading things and yakking away in the faculty room, it does damage to the school itself emotionally. If, in fact, the school can, and I don't mean the building, I mean the people in it. People become emotionally upset when they're exposed to someone, someone saying something to them like, you know, I'm going to tell you something. Promise you won't tell anybody else. Or you're the only person I'm telling. You already told five other people. I don't know what you're talking about. Rumors and gossip destroy the trust in a building. You want a good behavior management program? We have to learn to police ourselves as teachers, and we have to make sure that kids know the damage that rumors and gossip can do, because we are part of the behavior management program as teachers. Number four, promotion of the truth and the benefits of speaking the truth to our students. Kids today have a difficult time handling any type of constructive suggestion and they've begun to feel good about themselves for no apparent reason. How do they do on that test, Mr. Burns? Well, we'll take a look at it. I don't know. Maybe you could read. You failed. What do you want me to tell you? You flunked the test. Now, is that so hard to take? Kids go and they play organized sports. Somebody wins, somebody loses. Kids go and do, you know, play board games. They play or involved in activities, you know, and there's competition, you know, and so on. Somebody wins, somebody loses. Kid does poorly on a test. We, we want to make him believe that he did okay. By the way, the word awesome has to be eliminated from our vocabulary when dealing with young children. Nobody's awesome at five. Speak the truth. How'd I do on a test? You failed. Let me tell you something, folks. If everybody wins, nobody wins. Number five. We have to begin to take a look at 
why our students are disaffected and unmotivated. What's the problem here? I can give you one or two good reasons why kids are unmotivated. Number one, they were never given any responsibility. Where you have no responsibility, you don't have anyone who has to do anything because they're not responsible for it. You're not responsible for taking out the garbage, feeding the dog, raking leaves, cleaning your room. You're not responsible. And when you're not responsible, you know what happens? You become unmotivated. Doesn't matter. Not my job. And I will tell you this. Through that unmotivation comes a very, very weird view of reality. You know why? Because they get out into the real world, people ask them to do things. They have no idea what to do when they're asked to do something. Because they never had to do it. And they get into the upper grades in school, 8th, ninth grade, 10th grade, and all of a sudden, the stakes are higher. They don't know how to handle it. You know what happens then? They become disaffected. You have to get kids to be motivated through responsibility. You have to make the gain big enough that they'll do what you're asking them to do and the loss great enough that if they don't do it, they don't want to lose something. We have to begin to take a look at this and we have to have discussions around it because quite frankly, you get into a school, you got a lot of kids like this. You probably got 20% of the kids unmotivated and they're also, they look disaffected. They're not hard to handle. They just don't do anything. You know why? They were never expected to do anything, so they don't do anything. And I will give you the evidence to support your belief that you have said, I don't do anything. Well, I'm not doing anything. Number six, complete and open dialogue amongst teachers and administration about what's really wrong with the school and how we can go about making lasting change. This shouldn't be done, this should be done without fear of intimidation with both parties willing to accept constructive suggestion professionally. You get into a faculty meeting, you get into a committee meeting, you're afraid to say anything because you're afraid your principal will give you a hard time. But realistically, you gotta, you know, you gotta look at the man in the mirror. And by that I mean, if you're working in a school, let's not get into this mindset that there's nothing wrong here. If in fact you're having behavior problems, I shared this story so many times. I went and brought a program into a school, shared it with administration. The principal said to me, "Oh, we don't have those problems here." We don't have those problems here. You know, it was a discussion about some of the stuff we're talking about here and other things. Bullying and so on. We don't have those problems. Didn't want the program. 
Three days later, a kid's abducted right in front of the school. Where's security? Where's the safety team? Where's the things that need to be in place in order to ensure that no one gets abducted from in front of the school? If you've got a problem in your school building, you should be able to discuss it in a faculty meeting, in committee meetings, with principals present, superintendents should be there, anybody should be there, parents, let's solve this problem together and stop passing blame. Because if you have a problem, we all have a problem. And that's the way it should be. If I got a behavior management problem, we all have it. And I got to help whoever I can with that problem to overcome it. And I certainly hope people will help me. Number seven, last one. A parental component that addresses the problem of who will parent the parents per and parental complaints, arguments, and disagreements are a direct result with young and immature parents who need to be parented themselves. Go to my website, bullyproofclassroom.com. Type in who will parent the parents in the search. This article will come up. Read it. Who's going to do this? We have young parents that don't know what they're doing. You know why they don't know what they're doing? I'm going to tell you why. Because they don't get along with their parents. We have three generations. We have the kids in the school, the parents, and then the grandparents. And with young kids, young parents, grandparents can't be any more than 55 or 60 years old. And they don't get along with their own parents. And it is a known fact that if a kid, if a person grows up in life and they have trouble with their own parents, and, they, and it goes unresolved, they will have difficulty moving forward understanding right and wrong behaviors because they lose their perception on that. When they end up having trouble with their parents, they probably have shut down around 14, so they've lost all of that education, all of that wisdom that the parents could pass on to them because they don't want to hear it. And then you have the, the younger kids that are in school right now who are being raised. They may not even have the benefit of a grandparent. We have to address this component. Sometimes parents who are absentee parents do more for the kids by coming into the school. I mean, in other words, the parents are divorced. But the one parent, you know, he's, he's uh, divorced from his wife or her, her husband. They come into the school and they try to work out things. But th what happens is, is the, the two parents don't get along. You know what happens when two parents don't get along either inside or outside the house? The kids rebel. And I used to think they rebelled because they're angry or they don't know what's... They rebel because anytime they rebel, their parents get together at the school and at least talk. And that's what they want to see. Once parents get divorced, it's very difficult for a child to deal with. 
They have to deal with it. They know there's no recourse. And unless by some stroke of luck or somebody has a huge change of heart, their parents aren't getting back together. So they act up to bring the parents together in the principal's office. These are the items for schools to include in any type of behavior management plan. Right here. Here's seven of them for you to read, for you to listen to. This is important, folks. And last podcast was important as well. No question. Bottom line is every school has behavioral issues. We have to deal with it. Teachers have to deal with it. And how you deal with it will determine whether or not you're getting permanent help or temporary relief. Use these few steps I just shared with you. You'll get, te- you'll get permanent help, but it's going to take a while. My name is Jim Burns. You've been listening to Anti-Bullying 101. Please do visit my website, www.bullyproofclassroom.com. There's a bunch of free stuff there. You can take a course, which is great. You can buy some products, which helps me keep things afloat here. You know, there's wonderful stuff there. Take a look. You'll love it. Go to thebullyproofclassroom.com. Check it out. You like this podcast? Pass it on to somebody else. Let them listen to it. Spread this word, spread these words around, because what I am saying you may not hear again in another place. I'm blue collar. I speak the truth. I want to see change. Here's seven things that you can do to help with behavior management. If you follow my podcast, you'll find there's a whole lot more that you can do to stop bullying and promote positive mental health in a school building. My name is Jim Burns. Thank you for listening to Anti-Bullying 101.